exploring the lives of ordinary Chinese people, sharing stories of impressive personalities. Life up close, presenting real China in real Chinese living. Life up close, where you can find out the latest about the ever-changing Chinese society. I'm your host Sam Duckett in Beijing. In this special edition of Life Up Close, we will focus on pollution control efforts around the Dongting Lake in central China. It's very difficult to have both ecological preservation and economic development at the same time. We closed 15 paper mills with assets of 300 million yuan lying dormant, and this meant there were about 5,000 people laid off, and they had to get re-employed. It takes time to nurture new environmentally friendly production activities, be it in the industrial or agricultural sectors. Transforming the national blueprint of ecological protection into reality needs the arduous and persistent efforts of local residents and officials across the country, like our Dongting Lake Economic Zone. Stay tuned. Smog, PM 2.5, Beyond Index. These are terms that regularly appear in high-profile news coverage of the suffocating air pollution that residents in big Chinese cities, in particular Beijing and Shanghai, have to live with. These residents may be slightly appeased because the issue has attracted so much media attention and, in turn, public and government attention. Not all of China's vast population are fortunate enough to come under this media spotlight, which means their regional pollution dangers are largely ignored. In some parts of the country, residents are quietly struggling in a hazardous living environment where it is either air, water, or soil pollution. As they yearn for safe and healthy life, these residents are making their own sometimes painful efforts to address the problem. Around the Dongting Lake in central China, local residents are working hard to control the severe water pollution by reducing the use of fertilizers and closing down filthy paper mills. Of course, these efforts, though often underreported, have been going on for some years, and the efforts are being intensified with support from the local authorities, which are required by the central government in Beijing to take the pollution issue seriously. A national action plan against water pollution issued last year has shown the determination of top authorities to repair the damaged environment across the nation. But how is the fight against pollution playing out? Will the world's second-largest economy ever be able to clean up its polluted environment? Let's follow our reporter Yan Yong to visit central Hunan Province, which is at the forefront of the national campaign against water pollution. Dongting Lake in central China is a quiet place these days. A sign by the lake reads, "No fertilizer." The lake is one of the five largest freshwater lakes in China. Its water body spans across Hunan and Hubei provinces. The quiet scene is in sharp contrast to the summer scenes of two years ago, when boats would clutter the lake, carrying fishermen as they fed the fish. Sometimes they poured as much as a hundred tons of fertilizer into the lake in a single day," said Xu Haijing, general manager of a fishery in the lake. Fertilizer thrown into the lake over the decades has boosted the growth of highly invasive water hyacinth as well as polluting the water. 
During the worst period, the water turned dark and smelly. She said. Since 2014, fisheries near the Dongting Lake in counties such as Anxiang, Taoyuan, and Lingli in Hunan Province were ordered to stop feeding the fish with fertilizer. As a result, fishermen began planting watergrass and putting algae in the water for the fish to feed on instead. Their efforts paid off. In the past two years, the water quality has improved from level five, the worst on the five-tier assessment scale, to level three. This means it is now clean enough to swim in without first using decontamination treatments. But the ban on fertilizer reduced the amount of fish. Fertilizer certainly increased the fish numbers," said Xu Haijun. He added that now they can only allow the fish grow naturally. The annual haul of fish in Shu's fishery before the ban was close to two million kilograms. Last year, the number dropped by half a million kilograms, and revenues fell by more than six million yuan, which is about nine hundred thousand U.S. dollars. More than two hundred households living on the fishery saw their annual income decrease to fifty thousand yuan last year, a decline of some thirty percent year on year. Measures have been taken to make up for the loss. Fish from the lake are now labeled organic. This labeling has meant the price of the fish bred here has gone up by two yuan a kilo, more than non-organically bred fish. Owners of the fishery have also planted lotus flowers in the water to attract the tourists. Sponsored by the local fishery, forty-year-old fisherman Cao Jingxin, who started fishing as a teenage boy, spent more than a hundred thousand yuan to renovate his house. It is now a family inn. I worked in the fishery, so of course I can cook fish. Cao said, "My cooking skills are as good as a chef's." Another twelve households have also opened family inns to make money. At the same time, however, some fishermen note that the water quality is not stable, especially on raining days when sewage washes into the lake. Improving the water quality in a lake is a big project, and comprehensive restoration is needed," said Gao Da Li, vice head of the managing bureau of East Dongting Lake National Natural Reserve. Gao hopes the government can give subsidies and incentives to fishermen to encourage more people to protect the water in Dongting. The roughly 2,500 square kilometer Dongting Lake was one of the most polluted water bodies in China until finally the local authorities and residents could no longer ignore the gravity of the situation and were forced to do something about it. And it wasn't just the fishing industry that had to pull up its socks. The pollution in the lake was being caused by a number of different parties, such as the paper factories that are sited adjacent to the body of water. In 2006, Hunan Province launched a crackdown on these polluting paper mills, and since then, 234 of them have been ordered to close their operations. Li Yi was one of them. He owned a reed business in Yuanjiang City, which borders the lake. Reeds are the raw material for making paper. Li Yi recalls that the government crackdown on water pollution was harsh.
We received the government's instruction to close our mill. Many of us did not want to do it because it would have cost us tens of thousands of yuan a day. Later, we were ordered to close the mill, and the local electricity agency cut off the power supply to our plant. For Li Yi, the shutdown of his paper mill meant economic loss. For his workers, it meant unemployment, and for the local government, it meant pressure to create jobs and new engines of economic growth. Deng Zhongxiang was party chief of Yuanjiang City, the highest local official, early this year. He told reporters at the time that the pressure he and his colleagues once faced was huge. It's very difficult to have both ecological preservation and economic development at the same time. We closed 15 paper mills with assets of 300 million yuan lying dormant, and this meant there were about 5,000 people laid off, and they had to get re-employed. After years of struggle, local residents and businessmen found a new environmentally friendly industry to compensate for the economic loss caused by the shutdown of the paper mills. Deng Zhongxiang explains. We found that asparagus was a good thing, so we started to grow this plant and then process it. This new industry can produce economic gains and preserve the environment at the same time. Asparagus is a spring vegetable, which is in great demand among urban middle-class residents who focus on living a healthy and green lifestyle. The vegetable has been promoted as being green and organic to meet this demand. Gong Li Jun was also engaged in the reed and papermaking business before he turned to asparagus in 2013. He says the new industry has begun to make a profit and create jobs for his fellow countrymen. Starting from last year, my new business has been making a profit. The asparagus is priced at up to fifty-eight thousand yuan a ton. The output this year is one thousand and five hundred tons. You know, we employed some five hundred workers to harvest this plant during the harvest season. The counter-pollution efforts in Yuanjiang City are just a part of the overall pollution control and prevention drive in Hunan Province. Provincial-level officials have said that reducing pollution in Dongting Lake over the next five years will be one of their priorities. Chen Xiangqin, vice governor of the province, said in March that ditches and ponds around the lake would be dredged. Pollution caused by livestock and poultry bred around the lake would also be addressed. At the same time, garbage heaped up around the lake would be removed and major industrial pollution sources identified. Chen also said the government would compensate enterprises ordered to close as part of these pollution control measures. More than 600 environment protection projects, with an investment of 270 billion yuan, will be completed in four cities bordering Dongting Lake in the next five years, according to a provincial plan. The authorities in Hunan will also work with neighboring Hubei province to protect the environment around the lake as it stretches across the two provinces. The fight against pollution on this one lake, in fact, symbolizes the severity of the water pollution problem across China as a whole. 
In April 2015, the central government in Beijing issued a plan to intensify the fight across the vast regions of the world's second-largest economy. The action plan for water pollution prevention and control aims to reduce pollutants, improve drinking water quality, and promote water conservation, according to the State Council, China's cabinet. The plan said that more than 70% of the water in the seven major river valleys, including the Yangtze and Yellow Rivers, should be in good condition by 2020. The same target is set for offshore areas. By the end of 2030, more than 75% of the water in the seven major river valleys should be clear, with dark and odorous water in urban areas eliminated. Small but massively polluting factories in sectors such as paper and insecticide will be shut down by the end of this year. Bigger projects in these sectors must update their technology to meet emissions requirements, according to the national plan. Starting 2016, a blacklist will name businesses that exceed their pollutant quotas, with the severe violators risking the possibility of closure. Will these harsh national measures finally pay off? We're explained to you in the second part of this story. But first, let's have a short break. Stay tuned. China Plus. China Plus focuses on the Middle Kingdom, bringing you breaking news and the stories that matter to you from both inside and outside the country. Up-to-the-minute reports about China, live streaming audio, and fascinating programs. Insightful opinion on everything China-related. Discover what's hot in our most-read section. Everything in focus, all in one place. China Plus. Search the App Store or Google Play for China Plus. If you have any interesting stories about China to share with us and can speak good English, why not join us in our worldwide broadcast? Don't hesitate to phone us or send us an email at life at cri dot com dot cn. You're listening to Life Up Close. Now let's follow Yang Yong again to continue our story about China's anti-pollution drive. Some observers point out that government efforts alone are not enough. They suggest the participation of the general public and environmental groups is complementary and crucial. Fortunately, the nation has seen a growing public interest in environmental protection, as demonstrated by a recent law case. In July, a Chinese environmental group won a landmark public interest lawsuit against a glass manufacturer, with the firm fined more than three million U.S. dollars for excessive pollution. The lawsuit was first of its kind to target air pollution since a new Chinese environmental protection law came into force at the start of last year. The Jinghua Group Zhenghua Decoration Glass Limited Company, based in Dezhou in the eastern province of Shandong, was ordered to pay nearly 22 million yuan for its surplus emissions of air pollutants. The company was also ordered to make a public apology. The All China Environmental Federation, a non-government organization, was the plaintiff in this public interest case. Zhang Xiaoxue, a judge with the Intermediate People's Court in Dezhou City, says the judgment and its implications could serve as a good reference point for other environmental lawsuits. 
Public interest action against pollution can send a much stronger warning compared with other kinds of actions. It has greater social impact. The lawsuit may act as a deterrent when it's filed, warning the defendant to stop harming the environment. At the beginning of last year, China's amended environmental protection law took effect. The law allows any NGO specializing in environmental protection for more than five years to file civil cases over pollution and environmental damage for the good of the general public. With the amended law, about 300 organizations are qualified to take the action. However, some experts say public organizations such as NGOs are not yet strong enough to take on big institutional polluters. And this explains the need for prosecutors to step in to push such lawsuits to defend the public interest. In July 2015, the Supreme People's Procuratorate started a two-year pilot program allowing prosecutors in 13 provincial divisions to initiate public interest litigation, especially in cases of environmental protection. Figures provided by the prosecuting body show that, by the end of June this year, prosecutors across the country followed up 1,400 public interest litigation claims. More than 800 cases entered the pre-trial procedure, with 23 of them officially filed. Zheng Xinjian is the director at the Supreme People's Procuratorate Department for Civil and Administrative Cases. He says not only are more and more cases being filed, but prosecutors have also been working with local authorities on protecting the public interest. Local administrative departments are to take suggestions from the prosecuting department when dealing with pollution cases. They should deal with the pollution sources in a timely manner to avoid further environmental damage. They should enforce punishment on the polluting industries or individuals through fines or administrative detention, and they should also conduct close supervision of the industries to implement corrective measures. Zheng adds that if the administrative authorities refuse to correct the mistakes or to perform their duty. The prosecuting department may also sue them in local courts. While taking the fight against pollution to the legal front lines, many insiders point out the fight is also about changing the nation's economic growth pattern. Liu Shuai is in charge of environmental supervision affairs at Hunan Province People's Congress, the region's top lawmaking body. He says the war on pollution requires painful efforts in transforming economic development modes in the locality. It takes time to nurture new environmentally friendly production activities, be it in the industrial or agricultural sectors. Transforming the national blueprint of ecological protection into reality needs the arduous and persistent efforts of local residents and officials across the country, like our Dongting Lake Economic Zone. Indeed, it takes time to see a new low-carbon economy really take roots in China, and many observers say an optimized energy mix is crucial for driving this kind of economy. We'll explain to you in detail in the final part of our story. But first, let's have a short break. Stay tuned. 
Everything in focus, all in one place. China Plus focuses on the Middle Kingdom, bringing you breaking news and stories that matter to you from both inside and outside the country. Search the App Store or Google Play for China Plus. Everywhere you look today, China is in the news. But what about the lives behind the stories? How do ordinary Chinese live and work? Life up close answers the questions in your mind when you think of China. Over a billion people and as many stories from all over this vast land. Life up close, bringing you all you need to know about the real Chinese living here in China. You are listening to Life Up Close. One climate change expert suggests that clean energy should become a main support for environmental protection and economic development in China after the year 2030. The suggestion was made as dozens of environmental science experts from China and South Korea met recently in Beijing. Xu Fei has more. He Jianquan is the vice chairman of National Experts Panel on Climate Change and director for the Institute of Low Carbon Economy of Tsinghua University. He thinks the year 2030 is a turning point for the CO2 emission reduction campaign in China and would also see a changing economic and energy landscape. It means after 2030. It means after 2030, China's economic development may continue to grow at a steady pace in its demand for energy. However, the new energy demand would come from non-fossil fuel, which includes new energy and renewable energy. The fossil fuel consumption would not increase, thus the CO2 emissions will no longer grow. The development of new energy and renewable energy will support the sustainable development of the economy and society in China, leading to a complete decoupling of the economic development and the carbon dioxide emissions. In November 2014, U.S. President Barack Obama and Chinese President Xi Jinping shook hands on a historic agreement to control greenhouse gas emissions in both countries. China vowed to put a cap on its growing carbon dioxide emissions by the year 2030. The pledge has become part of China's national commitments for the 2015 Paris Agreement, which was adopted during the United Nations Climate Conference last December. This appears to be an ambitious set of targets at a time for China. He Jianquan believes one of the challenges comes from replacing fossil oil with clean energy. When non-fossil energy accounts for around 20 percent of the total energy output in 2030, the Chinese government still needs to speed up the replacement of fossil oil with clean energy consumption. By 2050, the non-fossil energy will constitute one third or even half of the total energy consumption. The bilateral conference on cooperation in CO2 emissions reduction was co-hosted by the South Korean Ministry of Environment and the Beijing-based International Ecological Economy Promotion Association. Government officials and experts from South Korea also recommended their market measures to arouse enthusiasm among its citizens to lead a greener life, including the green credit card scheme. And the carbon labeling system. The green credit card scheme was launched in South Korea in 
to encourage consumers to adopt more sustainable lifestyle patterns by providing tangible economic rewards. With that, we come to the end of this edition of Life Up Close. Hope you have enjoyed it. For more, please log on to our website of newsplusradio.cn. For our program producer Yin Xiuqi, this is Sam Duckett in Beijing. Bye for now.